Welcome to Soul Talk, soulful conversations exploring who you are, why you're here, and how to live your most authentic life. My name is Coop Blackson, nationally best-selling author of You Are The One, transformational teacher, and your host. I invite you to subscribe to the Soul Talk podcast for weekly inspiration from me, where I will share with you some powerful ideas, thoughts, and practical life wisdom to help you live life more fully, freeing yourself from your past, reclaiming your power, and living your true life's purpose. You can also go to www.coopblackson.com, enter your name and email to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment. Let's get started with Soul Talk. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back to another very special episode of the Soul Talk podcast. I just have to say, folks, today's episode I have been looking forward to for years. I've been looking forward to, I would say, from the very first episode of Soul Talk, and it's finally happening. I feel that you know, life unfolds and happens in the perfect moment, in the perfect time. And I think this is the perfect time. You are all uh, in store for a real treat today. Uh, the man I'm going to introduce you today is someone you probably know. Maybe you've probably read his books. Uh, maybe he's impacted your life. I'm really happy that he's going to be on Soul Talk sharing some some soul and some information and some, some uh, upliftment and empowerment today. I first read his book, Seat of the Soul. Uh, in 1999 as a young man. And let me tell you, I'd read so many books before that, folks, and something about the resonance, the vibration, the context, there was something different coming through in the words that wasn't just speaking to my mind. It literally felt like it was, was, when I read his book, it felt like it was my own soul speaking to me. And it had such a profound impact that I was telling him before the conversation today, uh, just just how blessed and indebted and inspired I've been by him and his work. And so, folks, today I'm just honored to introduce you to the amazing, the one and only, the author of Seed of the Soul, uh, Soul to Soul, Heart Heart of the Soul, Mind of the Soul, many other books. He's been on Oprah. You know him, the amazing Gary Zukov. Gary, welcome to, to Soul Talk. Thank you, Coot. I'm, I'm delighted to be here and to speak with you. It's great to be here. I have so many questions, Gary, I want to to delve into and ask you. Uh, just, I'm just curious. I always like to find out, I know you've talked about it, but a bit about your background. What I'm curious about is when I see you now and hear you now, your resonance, your energy, your vibration, I mean, I'm just assuming you were born this way. You know, you, you just, you have such a tranquility and an equanimity and, and a compassion that emanates. But I'm curious, were, were you always like this as a kid? Uh, was there a time where there was more stress and anger and drama and just uh, contraction in your being? Was there a moment? I know you've written a bit about some things, but for those that, that may be new to your work, was there a moment when something shifted? Uh, just, just fill us in a, a bit about just what were the pivotal moments that led to an opening and awakening and a shift on your path? <laughs> That's four questions, Coot. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll, I'll start at the beginning and, and we'll go wherever the next moment goes, right? I had a no. Um, I'm so grateful that you um, perceive um, tranquility in me. I'm not always that way. and uh, But I have learned to look at myself from the perspective of my high water marks and not my low water marks. Mm. Um, if I look at myself from my low water marks, I would say to myself, how can you share the things you share? You're just a hypocrite. 
But if I look at myself from my high water marks, then I know I'm on solid ground. And I know this is the best, this is what I want to share. Mm. This is what fulfills me to share. Something similar uh, I've discovered when I started writing books. The first one was a book on quantum physics, The Dancing Wooly Masters. And it was a wonderful story that led me, ironically, to non-physical reality, not mm. because of the content of the book, but because of the energy that created that book. But um, mm. there was no single point uh, that I can say, that's when it happened. Although I've got one in mind now that we're talking about it, and I'll share it with you. Mm. Mm. But growing up for me was a one continual journey through pain. Wow. It was, And there's no... Uh, there's no reason for it on the surface that I could see. I had parents that loved me. Um, I had a father uh, that was uh, a wonderful provider for me and my sister. A little bit hard to get along with, but, uh, but I mean, there, there was nothing that should have led to a painful childhood. But I sure lived in one. And for quite a while, uh, as I grew up, <clears throat> and um, as I grew up, um, I pretty quickly discovered that I was addicted to sex. Mm. And by the time I got to San Francisco in my early 20s, sex and women and motorcycles and drugs were <laughs> all a big part of my life. Wow. And I thought that I was, uh, I thought I was admirable. Mm. I thought I was manly. Mm. And... Um, uh, in retrospect, I can see that what I was was too frightened of everything in my life to even admit that I was frightened. And the street name for that is Macho. And that's what I was. And um, that doesn't mean I didn't know when I was doing things that were frightening to me, but uh, I didn't realize how much fear I had in my life. And that was closely related to the addiction to sex because the sex gave me a respite from this pain, painful life. And the painful life was unrelenting because it was based on fear. And I couldn't see any of this at the time, so I didn't know how to how to handle it. But then when I was in San Francisco, living on Telegraph Hill, enjoying what I thought, enjoying myself, looking back, not so much joy, but a lot of mm, pomp. And, uh, I got invited to a meeting of physicists at the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory. And I went there and discovered something that I astounded me. On that particular Friday afternoon, they were not speaking in terms of formulae and mathematics. They were speaking quantitatively, and they were discussing the question, are we creating the reality that we're experimenting with? Mm. And that amazed me, because that's the same question that I had often discussed in my group of friends in the coffee shops in North Beach. But these were some of the world's renowned physicists. And I came back from that meeting so excited. But I couldn't describe what was exciting me. I, I felt like I'd had two cups of cappuccino and the sparks were coming off my fingertips. And so I asked if I could return to the meeting and the woman who organized it said yes. They were all very gracious, about 10 or 12 people. Mm. 
Her name was Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth Rauscher. She's passed on now. And she called this the Fundamental Physics Group, and she spelled it F-Y-S-I-C-S. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she was just a jolly person. I kept coming back, and I realized, I, I started to read books. I didn't have much money, so I was buying used books in Berkeley on in the physics sections of used bookstores and learning, trying to understand what I was so excited about and asking questions. And I... At one point, I decided to write a book about physics, even though I had never studied science and I didn't like or know mathematics, but I was going to write a book about physics, quantum physics. And I asked these uh, physicists to help me, and every one of them except one said, yes, yes, we will help you. Just they only ask three things. One thing, actually. They said, get it right. <laughs> Get it factually right, historically correct, conceptually accurate. And so that led me to interact with them over the year and a half it took to write it because I'd send them pages that I'd written and they'd send them back to me with more things on the back than I sent to them. (laughs) It was a wonderful mentoring that they gave me. And in this process, I had thrown away the outlines that I wrote for the chapters because my energy always went someplace else. It was more interesting to follow the excitement. After six months, I had six chapters, and I noticed that they fit together. But I didn't know how that happened because I threw away the chapters. And that's when I realized that I was not alone in this endeavor. That's when I realized that it's not possible to create something alone because it's not possible to be alone. And so when I can say to, I can say to people now, don't suffer in aloneness. There is no such thing. And ironically, all of this came to me when I was writing a book about quantum physics, which I had associated previously with purely intellectual endeavors. In this process, I decided that I wanted to live my life the way this book was being written, which was spontaneously, intelligently, and joyfully. And I've come a little ways down that road. But that, if there's any starting point in this life, I would say maybe it's there. Because that was a multi-sensory perception. That means a perception that isn't confined to the five senses. Now, I had experiences like that earlier in my life, not like that. Uh, For example, my favorite grandmother and I had gotten to know each other a lot during my life. And when I came home from school, which was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and I lived in a little town in Kansas, I'd share a ride back to Kansas City and then take the train down to Pittsburgh. And while I was in Kansas City for a night, we'd spend the night together and we'd have a wonderful time and she'd take me to this restaurant in the big building she was living in Mm. and afterwards we'd walk through the lobby which was full of gray-haired people and she'd introduce me to a lot of them she'd say gary you remember mr silverstein and i say "Mm." and then she'd say gary you remember gladys goldberg i say "Mm -hmm." but if i ever didn't say "Mm -hmm," 
<laughs> she, she was holding my hand and she jerked my hand down and she said, like she was shushing me if I weren't saying the right thing. Yes. Now, the last time that I was in Kansas City was to attend her funeral. And I was in college then. And we were in the funeral parlor. The, not the, yeah, yeah, I think it was the funeral home. And the rabbi was addressing an audience in front of him. And I was in an alcove on his right, looking at him in profile. But on the ceiling above was hung a monitor for closed circuit television. So I was watching him also as he was speaking to people in front of him. Mm. In those days, closed circuit television was, it, it was so new, hardly anyone had seen it. And when I saw it, it made me laugh. Because <laughs> to see him in profile and then look at his picture front on, and I was starting to laugh. And my grandmother jerked my hand <clears throat> down and she said, she didn't want me interrupting her funeral. <laughs> she wanted to enjoy it herself. I, d I didn't tell my parents that because they wouldn't have, they'd have thought I was hallucinating. Or I was in such grief that I was conjuring up images of my grandmother. But I wasn't. Grandma Libby was right there. She jerked my hand down like she often did. So I couldn't really grieve her because she, she was with me. But that was a multi-sensory perception also. But I didn't recognize it. I didn't recognize it. So when I say a multi-sensory perception now, I'm talking about people who are touched by an epic, unprecedented transformation in the consciousness of humankind itself. And that transformation in human consciousness is the expansion human perception beyond, that means my perception, your perception, beyond the limitations of the five senses. Now, not everyone experiences this yet, but hundreds of millions of people do. It's about a generation old, you might say. Yeah. Within a few more generations, everyone will have this consciousness. This has never happened before. Human consciousness has evolved over hundreds of millennia, but now it's evolving explosively, startling, startlingly fast. Is there a reason why you feel now it's happening so fast at this kind of quickened, accelerated pace? Is, 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 can you maybe speak to that? Because it feels like it's happening so fast, you know, Last year with 2020 and COVID, coronavirus, the world got shut down. Maybe you could put that in some context and perspective too as to, because it felt like that was an awakening and part of an initiation for humanity, yet there's so much pain and suffering and breakdown and, 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 and insecurity that has happened from what happened in 2020. And so maybe you could speak to how you feel the sort of COVID pandemic situation is a part of that awakening? Is it a part of the awakening? What's your perspective on, on, on what, what we're going through right now as we're speaking, 2020, 2021, in terms of the awakening process? Well, my experience is certainly is. However, what I've been describing to you is the context in which this awakening, this phenomenon has happened and is continuing to happen.
and also the protest that yeah. it has uh, inspired, in which for the first time, um, the murder of one student in the Earth School by another student in the Earth School was done publicly by a policeman who was white, mm. and the person he murdered was black. Mm. That's not news in the United States. We've got a violent, brutal history of white people killing black people. Mm. But it never caused a protest like this mm. through the days of lynchings in the South, and then Jim Crow, and then all of the racism that our black brothers and sisters here in this country experience all the time fear of being stopped by the police because it could be a lethal stop. It could be the last moments of their life. I don't ever fear that. And I didn't realize until late in my life that's because of the color of my skin. It's nothing else. I can be ignorant. I can be violent. But my skin will make me safe in that situation and make it a mortal threat to someone whose skin is different than mine. So why were there global, why did a global protest occur following that murder because we're in a new consciousness now the new consciousness that i'm talking about the old consciousness was the consciousness of a five sensory species and that species understood power as the ability to manipulate and control now we are rapidly becoming a new consciousness a multi, a new species a multi-sensory species and our understanding and experience of power is very different. It is the alignment of your personality with your soul. Now, I know that soul is a big part of your life. It is a big part of everyone's life. We are expressions, each, of a soul. We are incarnation, in, incarnations of an aspect of the soul. Now, right here, I want to share a request to you and to everyone who's listening to us. I don't ask that you believe anything that I'm saying just because I say it. And in fact, I would suggest that you not believe anything that anyone says just because they say it. Even if that person has a television show or has written a book or is a pulpit if you resonate with anything I say or anyone says, take it inside. Take it into your heart and apply it in your life and see what it creates. And if it creates something good for you, keep experimenting with it. And if it doesn't, throw it away. Don't try to wear a shoe that pinches. So your first question is, why? is this epic transformation in human consciousness occurring now. Yes. I'm not a metaphysical person. I'm a practical person. But I'll tell you what I know of it. It's a moment when three cycles have come to conclusion and therefore beginning at the same point. Mm. One of them is a 25,000-year cycle. Well, one of them is a 12,000-year cycle. One of them is a 25,000-year cycle. And one of them is a 125,000-year cycle. All coming to conclusion at the same 
time. That is my understanding. But as I say, that's really, from a practical point of view, beside the point. The point is, what are you going to do now? Because now, this new consciousness is entering your life by whatever means you consider appropriate for your understanding. Through the grace of God, through a divine universe that is guiding you through a random opportunity (laughs) in the cosmos, whatever, it's here, and it's good, and it's big, and it's changing everything about us. The way we see ourselves, the world, the universe, relationships, community, culture, gender, everything. And the new understanding, and, and by the way, this this expanded consciousness is not something you have to develop. You don't have to work for it. It's a gift from the universe. All you need to do is unwrap it and use it. Now, the potential that it brings with it is the potential of authentic power, alignment of your personality with your soul, with the intentions of your soul, which are harmony, cooperation, sharing, and reverence for life. Now, authentic power does not just happen. You've got to create it. This is where the work enters the picture. And only you can do the work. You can't do it for anyone else. If I tried to help you create authentic power, if I put signs, if, if I were wealthy and put signs on a billboard that said, create authentic power, here's how, here's a website, or if I had television ads, that would be the old kind of power. An ex- a pursuit of the old kind of power, which is the ability to manipulate and control. I would be trying to control you, to manipulate you, to think the way I think. Right. That would not add anything to the world that we're living in, which is a world that's built on external power. Mm-hmm. To change that world, we've got to add something different to it. Mm-hmm. And that's authentic power. When you say authentic power, are there some first steps for those listening that we can take to begin developing authentic power? Because I think for a lot of people, there, there, is, there seems to be that resistance between, or a fight or a conflict between personality and soul happening. And so what are some of the first steps that someone listening can take to move into authentic power in terms of doing the work? Yes, yes. Kurt, you are asking the most germane questions. Authentic power, yes, there are some beginning steps. Authentic power is the end of those steps, not the beginning. The beginning is, well, of course, the intention to transform yourself because you're recognizing in yourself something that is painful and destructive. Many things that are painful and destruction, like anger, jealousy, resentment, vengeance, feeling superior and entitled, feeling inferior and needing to please. Every obsessions like uh, thoughts that won't go away, like uh, judgmental thoughts, every compulsion, every addiction, all of this. It begins with an intention to do something about all of that. And all of that, we can put a shorthand label on, that's fear. Those are all experiences of fear. 
And so if you're going to create authentic power, if you choose to move beyond the control of these things, which is the creation of authentic power, then you have to be aware of them. Because you can't change anything in you that you're not aware of. Of course, you're aware of pain. Most people come to a spiritual path because they experience pain that is more than they can bear. And that's when they open to a, an alternative path. But you don't have to wait that long. You can start now. The pain's already there. It just hasn't brought you to your knees yet. But why not start now to create a life of joy and purpose and meaning and vitality? That's the alignment of your personality with your soul. But you can't do that. You can't even begin to while you're raging or seething with anger or jealousy or resentment, while you're in an ivory tower of your superiority like I was for a long time. Or you can't stop pleasing people because you feel so inferior and you need to see a smile to validate your existence in the world. So how do you become aware of these parts of your personality? Yes. Through your emotions. Through your emotions. Five sensory humans don't think emotions are valuable. They think, in fact, they're nuisances. Hmm. They just obstruct the pursuit of external power. But multi-sensory humans know that they're very important. Very important. And that means that to create authentic power requires experience, intimate experience of your emotions, and that requires the heart. Mm. Everything about creating authentic power requires the heart. You might say it's a heartfulness meditation. So how do you become aware of your emotions? By becoming aware of physical sensations in your body. Physical sensations. It's not enough to say, to put your attention inside yourself and say, I feel heavy, I feel sad, I feel angry, I feel despondent, I feel, wow, this is a good feeling. That's not emotional awareness. That's emotional illiteracy. To really be aware of your emotions, you need to be able to describe them in terms of physical, physical, yes. physical sensations. Mm. That means when you put your attention inside your body in certain areas, let, let's start with the, with the throat and your chest mm. and your solar plexus, mm. and you find physical sensations that are painful, you know that fear is active in you. And by physical sensations, I mean something that stabs, stings, throbs, aches, burns, churns. A painful emotional experience when you have the courage to look at it in yourself and unearth it is as painful as hitting your thumb with a hammer when you're trying to drive a nail. It hurts, really hurts. But once you do this, that's developing emotional awareness. Then you know what it is that you're looking at. It's big. It's powerful. It's magnetically attractive. These are what we can call frightened parts of the personality or parts that are aspects of yourself that originate in fear. They are all so painful that people mask that however they can. They become angry. They become jealous. They have sex. They drink. They try to build a successful life. They try to impress people with their brilliance, with their money, with their wealth, with their education, with their mountain bike, with their sexuality, yeah. with the friends that they know. Mm. All of that is the pursuit of external power. That's 
how we evolved until now. Mm. We were a five-sensory species, surviving, evolving by surviving, and surviving by pursuing external power. Now, we are a multi-sensory species. We evolve by growing spiritually, and we grow spiritually by creating authentic power. And the first step in that, there's only a couple of three tools in creating authentic power. Emotional awareness, which is what I'm describing. And then when you become aware of your emotions in this way, uh, the next question is, what am I going to do with this? Before you go into what you what, what are we going to do with it, um, I love what you're saying about the, the physical sensation. Can you just speak to someone that might be concerned or have, like, where is the line between being present with the emotion, being aware of the emotion, acknowledging the emotion, the physical sensation, and let's say someone getting lost in their emotion? How to not get lost in their emotion? There's moments where I see certain folks become addicted to the emotion and the processing of the emotion. Could you speak to that and the, and the line between what you're speaking about and wallowing in emotion, addicted to emotion? That's the difference between emotional illiteracy and emotional awareness. Mm. What you've described is emotional illiteracy. Mm-hmm. For example, I was angry in so much of my life and I didn't, I had an impulse to be angry and I'd act on it. And I knew I was angry. As part of my identity, I tell people, yeah, I'm angry. I was born angry. I'm going to die angry. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. Mm. I mean, I, I really, I didn't have a chip on my shoulder. It's more like a tree. Uh-huh. And I really uh, had no separation between me and the experience of anger. Mm. Between me and a craving for sex. Between me and uh, joy at being alive. Although I didn't experience too much of that. But I did experience happiness. As you become emotionally aware, you develop the ability to create a gap between the impulse and the action. Mm. And that distance, that gap, no matter how small, enables you to do something that you weren't able to do before, and that is choose. Choose. Consciously. Mm. You're always choosing, but our choices are almost always unconscious. Mm. And every unconscious choice is a choice of fear which means it creates painful and destructive consequences. This emotional awareness begins the process of allowing you to consciously choose different consequences, consequences of love. Because there are other parts of your personality besides these that I've mentioned. There are parts, for example, that are uh, grateful and appreciative and caring and... uh, patient and content and in awe of the universe. These are the parts that are already aligned with your soul. So when you experience a fear-based part of your personality that's painful, in that moment, right there, in that moment, reach for the healthiest part of your personality that you can and do your best to act from that while you're feeling the magnetic pull of fear, of anger, of righteousness. That's the moment of creating authentic power. You're not going to become authentically powerful the first time you do this, Uh or the 10th, 
or the 20th. But as you do this again and again, the frightened part of your personality, whether it's anger or jealousy, vengeance, begins to lose its power over you. It still happens, but it doesn't penetrate so deeply. It runs off, it's like water running off the feathers of a duck. And the more you choose to be in a loving, healthy, grounded part of your personality, the more love enters your awareness. And by love, I'm not talking about sentimental love. That's an, that's an experience of fear. It's actually an experience of need. Unrequited love does not hurt. Love does not hurt. There's nothing but bliss about love. Mm-hmm. Unrequited need is <laughs> excruciating. <laughs> and that's what drives every frightened part of the personality, the mm-hmm. need to be admired, the need to be wealthy, to need the need to be worthy of your life, the need to know that you belong here. Yes. And knowing that you don't. That's mm. the pain of powerlessness. And everyone's got it. Five sensory humans and multi-sensory humans. Let's go into that just for a moment. The pain of powerlessness is the pain of needing to be loved and knowing you're unlovable. It's the pain of wanting to love and knowing that you're not capable. It's the pain of, it's not wanting anyone ever to see you the way you really are inside because if they did, they wouldn't want to have anything to do with you. It's feeling intrinsically defective, inherently flawed. And it's excruciating. And everyone's got it. When we were five sensory, to try to avoid the experience of that pain, we'd try to change the world. We'd act through a frightened part of the personality. Like anger is painful, painful, painful to experience. Jealous, I see, I think is even worse in terms of pain. But underneath all of that is the pain of powerlessness that comes out as jealousy, as anger, and acting on it is the pursuit of external power. All of that now prevents our evolution, individually and as a species. You mentioned aloneness earlier, and since we're talking about the emotional aspect of things, this feeling of aloneness, um, I think, is something that people have been... uh, feeling a lot in the last year, being quarantined, being alone during this time. How to move, how can someone move through this feeling of aloneness? How to navigate that feeling of like, I feel so alone in the world? Well, there's lots of ways to do it, but I am suggesting that there's only one way to get to the core of it, the heart of it. Mm. There's only one way to get to the core of all of your emotional issues and problems, and that is to become emotionally aware, make responsible choices, and align your personality with your soul. And I'm suggesting you experiment with this. That's why I said earlier, don't believe anything that I'm telling you, but experiment with it. Mm -hmm. So you develop some emotional awareness, and then the next step is to make a responsible choice. A responsible choice is a choice that creates consequences for which you are willing to assume responsibility. Emotional awareness gives you precious information, information from your soul that tells you, 
Coot, fear is active in you now. When you look inside yourself and you feel pain in your chest area, your solar plexus, your body will not lie to you. And right. I'm speaking now not just to you, Coot, but to everyone that's listening to us. You know that. We, we both know that. This is a sharing that we want people to consider and to experiment with. Mm. So when you're feeling emotional awareness, through your emotional awareness, with your emotional awareness, then make your choice. Are you going to indulge this? Are you going to act on it again? Well, if you do, what will happen? You'll create the same things you did before and the same pain you did before. Mm -hmm. And if you decide not to act on it, you change your life because you create differently. Now, at this larger context, it's not only important, it's everything. If you choose not to act on fear, you don't get rewarded. That's not a trip to heaven. It's not even a trip to a nicer place. It's a trip to a healthier life. Mm. If you decide to act on it, you don't go to hell, you don't get condemned, you create as you have in the past. That's hell enough. Mm. Everybody knows that. Mm. But you can change it. That's what I'm talking about. From beginning to end, you can change it because we're multi-sensory now. We can learn about ourselves from our experiences in ways that we couldn't before. We can look inside. We can realize, and you will realize these things yourself as you experiment with them, that what, that the pain, that let's stay with pain for a moment, but this is also true of, of blissful yes. emotional experiences. The emotion that you're experiencing does not have to do with what you think it does. For example, you get news. Your child has cancer. Mm. Your child has been in an accident. You have cancer. Uh, your best friend has embezzled with you. Your business has gone bankrupt. Right. The person you wanted to spend the rest of your life with says, I don't want to be with you anymore. Mm. And you feel these emotional experiences that are so painful. And they're real to you when you feel them. Like I said, they're like, they're physical sensations. Mm. But the cause of that, of that pain is not the partner who left, the child that got ill, the diagnosis. The outside world activates internal dynamics in you. And those internal dynamics create pain physical pain. The reason it's so important to experiment with this and to recognize it is if you don't, you squander your energy trying to change what you think is the source of your pain. Wow. That's in the outside world. Mm. And instead, you turn your attention inward and you change what's in you, mm. the source of all of this pain and f destruction. Yes. As you do that, that's creating authentic power. And the, two, and the two tools I've described are emotional awareness and responsible choice. And every event that Linda Francis, my partner and I, spiritual partner, give, every book that I've written, every talk that we give, every event that we give, is about these things and then practice. Then putting them into practice because it's delightful for me to talk about them it's pretty easy to understand, although frightened parts of the personality probably don't always agree. Oh, right. That's why I say it's, it, that's why it's good to be skeptical. Mm. Cynicism is 
cynical is not good. That, that leads nowhere except to more pain. Mm. But skepticism is healthy. That means saying to yourself, well, can that really be true? Mm. I mean, well, how would that happen? I, I need to see for myself. I'm going to try that because I don't believe it. If it doesn't, I don't know if it works. I'm going to try this. That's skepticism. Do it. Because we have people that come to our events and, and tell us about our books. And usually, often, not always, I, those that have heard about us by hearsay have come because they're uh, shopping. They're, 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 they're on the New Age circuit. It's like, it's like a smorgasbord, a buffet. And they like a little bit of this, I like a, bit of, a little bit of that. And by the way, I'm living in a time, you're living in a time when we have remarkable colleagues as teachers. Mm. So I'm not saying that, I'm saying follow your heart. Mm. And in the smorgasbord, if you find something that's yours, go for it. Mm. Go for it. Go into it. Go deep. Explore it. See if you can break it. Is this real or not? If mm. it's not, go back to the buffet. Mm. Or better yet, follow your meaning in your life, just like you did in your life. Follow your meaning. That will always take you in the direction that your soul wants you to go. If you don't, meaning will begin to flow out of your life. And so as you, you use meaning as your compass, you know when you're headed toward your soul, which, by the way, you could say is the same as headed toward love. Everybody wants to be loving, but how do you be loving when you're angry, when you're jealous? How do you be loving when you don't want to get out of bed in the morning? How do you, how do you love when you want to kill yourself or you want to kill someone else? Right. You can't. You can't. Right. But what you can do is this. You can't determine what you're going to feel next. But you can decide what you're going to do about it when you feel it. That's mm. what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about now. Right. Apply emotional awareness. Responsible choice. Make a responsible choice. Mm. Remember that you're a student in the Earth School. No one has an easy time in the Earth School because this is a learning environment. It, it, it's a domain of time and space and matter and duality in which we learn mm -hmm. which aspects of our personality prevent us from loving and which parts are already loving so that we can challenge and move beyond the control of the frightened destructive parts and yes. cultivate the constructive loving parts that by the way is another definition of authentic power Creating authentic power is the ability, gives you the ability to distinguish within yourself between love and fear. Moment by moment, and choose love all the time, no matter what's happening inside of you or what's happening outside of you. In terms of responsibility, I really like uh, the, the, the idea of responsible choice. I'm kind of feeling into, let's say, there's someone listening Gary, to this conversation. And they're like, yes, responsible choice, absolutely. But Gary, I, I know what I, I know the choice I should make. But there's, there's two things. But either I have an addiction, a compulsion, and I know what I should make, but this drinking compulsion, this cocaine compulsion, this what is it's it's bigger than me. So that that's kind of one part of the question. The second part is. What about someone who 
Yes. Let's take take these questions one at a time and unpack them. Let's unpack the the addiction first. Someone who feels that they're addicted. I I can't help myself, Gary. I can't help it. And and what was the second question? So so we'll remember it and go back to it. The second question is for someone who's saying, well, yes, Gary, I want to make the responsible choice, but maybe there's a biochemical, you know, psycho, mental, emotional, schizophrenic, you know, bipolar, something that they hear it, but something doesn't let them make the responsible choice based on a biochemistry, a schizophrenia, a bi- something. So those are two pieces that I want to understand yeah. there. Yeah, those are actually the same thing. One of them is saying I can't do anything about it, and the other is explaining why I can't do anything about it. Oh. But, but we'll go into this. We'll go into them both in, in depth because these are yes. foundational questions. First of all, some when you say to yourself, this is bigger than I am, I can't stop it. It's not bigger than you. Mm. Start there. It's not bigger than you. My addiction was sex. And I wrote a chapter. Uh, and, and by the way, sex, uh, an addiction to sex isn't always, uh, and, and in my case, never was abusing anybody else. Like you, uh, like uh, has generated at last um, the Me Too movement and has brought everything that started with women's suffrage into the focus that it is now and still has a long way to go. That's not what I'm talking about, my experience. My experience is that the women that I was drawn to were equally drawn to me. They wanted mm. what mm. I wanted. Mm. And for example, I discovered, and this was in the process of healing my addiction, that this image I had of myself of being manly because I was with so many women sexually. Mm. And I knew that none of them made it. And I knew that none of them, um, that I didn't care about any of them. Mm. Well, in my search, into what I was doing, my exploration, I realized, I saw that I didn't mean anything more to them than they meant to me. I saw the ugliness Mm. of that addiction. Mm. It was a mutual predatory dynamic. So one of the things I, I suggest if you have an addiction and you're listening, whether it's to alcohol, shopping, gambling, pornography, masturbating, uh, needing a fix, needing nicotine, needing a drug, whatever your addiction is, first step is to recognize you've got it. Mm. I mean, that in the example you gave, somebody already knows they have it. They're, they're, they're complaining that they're out of control. For me, I had to look at that. I had to say, I was engaged at the time. And the person I was with, the woman said, you know, you've got a problem. And I'm not going to be with this problem because a fool I was with before had this problem and I'm not going to do it again. Mm. And it was about sex and my attraction to women. The attraction of a frightened part of my personality, I can now say with more accuracy. Mm. A sexual craving. And I said, because I really wanted to be I have this person in my life. I said, well, I'll look at it. I don't think it's a problem. I'm just a loving person. Mm-hmm. If I'm loving and, and if I'm in a hot tub and there's a woman who's loving, we have sex. Isn't, doesn't everybody do that? I mean, isn't that love? Mm-hmm. And she said, no, and you've got a problem. Mm-hmm. And so I went through this progression 
well, maybe I, there's something to look at here. Well, maybe it's a little issue. Well, maybe it's bigger than that. Maybe I have a problem all the way to, my God, I can't stop. I'm out of control. Mm. And that's when the work starts. And you, and what is the work? That's what I'm describing, Coot. That's what I've been describing. It's creating authentic power. An addiction mm-hmm. is a frightened part of your personality. It is no different except that it's stronger. Yes. It's more powerful. It's not bigger than you. Hold on to that thought. It is mm-hmm. not bigger than who you want to become. Mm-hmm. So apply your emotional awareness because every frightened part, including an addiction, is to mask pain. Underneath every addiction, another way of saying it, is pain. Like I said earlier, my addiction to sex and my anger were closely related. They're both expressions of fear. So uh, just wearing a nicotine patch is not going to help you. You've got to go underneath it. You've got to go deep. And our evolution now requires it, this new understanding of power and multisensory perception is something that if you want to change yourself, if you want to evolve, you've got to do. But it's not you should do it, you must do it in the sense that you're damned, you're going to hell if you don't. It's just if you don't, you don't change. And your evolution now requires you to grow spiritually. Mm. But it's your choice. Everything in the earth school is your choice. Your choice of what? your choice of intention. And intention is a quality of consciousness that infuses your words and your deeds. And it, the intention, creates consequences. Not the action, not the words. The intention. So, let's, and and I appreciate your you're interrupting me whenever a question comes up because I want to answer in as much depth as I can. It seems sometimes as though there's countless intentions. I intend to, I intend to buy a bicycle. I intend to change towns. I intend to get a better job. I intend to go to school. I intend to those are all, you might say, out-tensions. They're about what you want to do in the world. But when you ask why, when you give yourself any out-tension, you can start going more deeply into it. For example, I want to get a better job. Why? Well, I want to make more money. Why? Why? Well, I want to dress better for one thing. <laughs> Why? Because I want to impress people. Why? Mm. Because I want a partner and I want some sex. Mm. Why? 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 And eventually, that doesn't go on. That's not, that, that's not indefinite. Eventually, you get to the bottom. Bedrock. Can't get any deeper intention. And in the earth school, it's love or it's fear. If you're doing it for you, it's fear. If you're doing it because your heart wants to do it, it's love. 
So creating authentic power requires knowing your intention. You always act with intention. And every time you do, you create a consequence. But if you're not aware of your intention, you're creating the, the consequence unconsciously. Yes. And that's how most people live their lives. And when you encounter the consequence of that intention, you again experience frightened parts of your personality. And if you do the same thing, you create the same consequences again. The Buddhists call that samsara, the wheel of life, the wheel of suffering. And they also say the river of suffering is deep and wide. The turn of the head is the other side. I thought, well, what's that mean? To get to the other side, you got to swim. You got to get a boat. You got to get over there. For years, I didn't understand that. A turn of the head is the other side of the river, but the river's deep and it's wide. That's your life they're talking about, the pain. What you experience when you encounter something in your life depends upon how you hold it. If you hold it in fear, it's painful. It's samsara. It's the wheel of suffering. It's the living hell. But it's not hell in the sense that it's a judgment. It's what's happening. And it's for your benefit. Everything that you experience in the earth school is to assist you in growing spiritually. And when you encounter a frightened part of your personality, it's not an obstacle. It's an avenue. It's the universe showing you an aspect of yourself that you must move unearth fully and move beyond the control of in order to give the gifts that you were born to give. And that's where your fulfillment and meaning and joy and vitality and creativity and connection and joy, they all are there. You know that because you've spoken about that and that's what you love to speak about. And I love that too. I love sharing with you and sharing with our listeners because, as I said, I'm practical. And I want to give people a window through which I've come to see life. And I hope it's helpful to you. Yes. And my process has been incremental from that first time of writing that book, The Dancing Willie Masters, and seeing that I was not alone. It didn't just change my life, but it showed me something, and it was up to me to change my life. And it's the same with you. Your life can change in a moment, in a moment of grace. And it's happened to many people, and there are more people probably that it hasn't happened to. But if it does happen for a moment, The fear is gone. The pain is gone. The divorce doesn't hurt anymore. It's just what's happening. The child that's died, the terrible grief is just gone. And then it comes back. When you have an experience like that, it's the universe showing you what your life is like without fear. Then it's up to you to make that moment, that experience, a stabilized, ongoing experience in your life, to make it your life. I love that. It's up to us. We have the glimpse of the possibility, and now we get to do the work to stabilize that in daily reality. Exactly. Exactly. You can remember your time when 
you knew you wanted to go to the, to the United States. Mm. You just knew it. And you could even see a future unfolding there. In your case, it was an accurate, accurate perception because you saw, they also saw the future that was unfolding for you if you didn't go. Yes. So yes. it made your choice graphic. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, I, I, saw, I, I, saw, I saw the choice. Sure. It's all the choice, and you made the choice happen by making the decision. Mm. Well, it's that's the basic function of choice. It's intention is everything. Now, before I said multisensory perception, consciousness is everything. It is that consciousness. To go back to your earlier question, it's in the context of a new human consciousness that the pandemic occurred. I've got four chapters in Universal Human, a book that is going to be published shortly. And those four chapters are all on um, the coronavirus. Each Mm. chapter is called The Coronavirus Miracle. Mm. Why? The coronavirus miracle, the pandemic, the coronavirus miracle, the protest, the coronavirus miracle, the symbol. The coronavirus, the pandemic, is a turning point in human evolution and behavior. But it's not the first turning point. It is the first major turning point since the turning point. The shift in human consciousness that is unprecedented from five sensory perception and the understanding of power as manipulation and control to multi-sensory perception and the understanding and experience of power as alignment of your personality with your soul. This is the new territory. This is the new terrain. And we are living now with one foot in both worlds. The old world, which is rigid, demanding, and familiar. Five sensory perception and external power. And another foot in the new world, which is inviting, calling, nurturing, beckoning, Mm. and moment by moment we're choosing one or the other which one will you choose moment by moment that's your choice said another way the only thing that stands between you and the life that you long for are matters of choice your choice and recognizing that using it using emotional awareness, responsible choice. And the third tool that you have is intuition. Intuition. Mm. We have these tools as multi-sensory humans, and we have one another. We can support one another. I can't create authentic power for you, and you cannot create it for me. But you can support me, mm. and I can support you. Like my spiritual partners, wonderful. Uh, Linda is a wonderful spiritual partner. She'll say things that, um, beloved, did this? Uh, did you say that from fear or love? <laughs> <laughs> what was your intention? Uh, Are you speaking from a frightened part or about a frightened part? Mm. Which is the question you asked earlier when people say, I can't, I'm just, I am my emotion. You're not. Right, right, right. So, and by the way, spiritual partnership that's partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth mm. and it's it's not a couple's dynamic couples mm. can experience that 
but you can experience it with your children. You can experience it at work. You can create it at work, at school. Uh, you can create it on a team, and it's wonderful. Uh, spiritual partners. I also wrote a book on that called Spiritual Partnership. Yes, it's got its own dynamics, but spiritual partners know they have souls. They know that there's a reason for their being together. And that reason has to do with their souls. Mm. And their commitment is not to their partnership. Their commitment is not to their relationship. That's not a big enough commitment now. Mm. Their commitment is to their own spiritual growth. Mm. So how do you know when you meet someone, let's say, in a romantic relationship, how do you know that this might be the, for those listening in, the right or the aligned spiritual partner to be with? Because then it sounds like, well, couldn't you just be with anyone, Gary? It doesn't really matter who, you're, who you marry because you're going to grow somehow. Uh, and so how do you discern, okay, this is the person I want to be with? How, like, for instance, you and Linda, how did you discern this is the person I want to evolve with and grow with? Why well, not Susie? I love, I love that story. <laughs> I'll be glad to tell you that one. Please, but, please. But, but the answer to your question is, you, you, I suggest you experiment with looking at it this way. You have about seven and a half billion spiritual partners. Mm. Now the question is, no, not spiritual partners. Let me put that differently. You have about seven and a half billion soulmates. Now the question is, how are you going to relate to them, to each one? You're never going to meet them all. Maybe in your lifetime, you're only going to meet a few hundred thousand, even if you stood in Times Square for <laughs> the rest of your life. But those hundred thousand, those few hundred thousand are very important. They're not random like, like they seem. Mm -hmm. How are we going to relate to them? <clears throat> How are we going to relate to each one? That's for you to decide and for them to decide. Spiritual partnership is partnership between equals for the purpose of spiritual growth. It doesn't mean I'm going to spend my life with you. Mm. It means we recognize each other. And our reason together is more than fashion, more than the kids, more than the market, more than automotive engineering, more than, the, more than sports. This is the power of life. It's brought us together, mm. like it or not. That's the domain of the personality, like it or not. The domain of the soul is, here's the blessing, right now, always, right now, in front of you, in you. What are you going to do? I suggest, look at it this way. Before you make a choice, it's like looking in front of you and there's a lot of doorways. And each one of those doorways is a choice. And when you walk through one of those doorways, all the others shut. And that, on the other side of that doorway, is the world that you've chosen. That choice brings energy into matter. That choice is infused with the intention of love or the intention of fear. That choice creates karma, creates your consequences. So that's where you are. Now, when you look in front of you, what do you see? more doors and the same thing with each choice there's no right and wrong in this you can't go through the wrong door you can't make a wrong choice 
because there is learning in every choice that you make. All roads lead to home. But some roads are more uh, direct and joyful. <laughs> and other roads are longer and more difficult. So with your choices, you're not changing the world the way it is. You're changing your experiences in the world. You're answering the question whether you've posed it or not. How will I learn wisdom through love and trust or through fear and doubt? And this goes back to your other question. You've had so many wonderful questions. Somebody who says, I'm an addict, I can't do anything about it. You can. That part of you that's out of control, that's addicted, is a frightened part of your personality. It's not coming from the unchangeable ground of your being. It's one part of your personality. And you have other parts who will hold and see and respond differently to the same circumstance. This one is so powerful that you think you can't challenge it, but you can. And in that process, you'll come to see, if you're like me, and I think you are in this, I mean, we're all unique, there's no doubt about that. But it's in that that we're the same. So when you're dealing with a frightened part of your personality that's that strong, that's that big, you must really use emotional awareness and responsible choice. And I... It will take you through all the, the twisting turns, the ins and the outs. For example, I would ask, I started too. Well, this is big. This is big. I think it's bigger than me. It's not. Hold this. It's not bigger than who I want to become. Mm. All right. It's, uh, yeah, but what about, well, if I'm creating all this, can I create a temptation that's more than I can resist? Yes, I can mm. do that. I saw it. That would be my... That would be an unconscious way of giving myself permission to behave unconsciously. Well, here's the short of it. At the very core of this process of healing, I recognized, I experienced that the power is entirely in my hands. If I can choose to stop this addiction or not, if I choose to stop it, I won't be rewarded. I won't even be praised. I won't be acknowledged. I'll just stop it. If I decide to continue learning through this path, I won't be blamed. I won't be judged. I won't be punished. I just won't change. And no one can do anything about that except me. That is the point that every addict reaches if they don't run in fear back into alcoholism, meth. And by the way, there's no addiction to an emotion. There's loving, there's love and there's fear. You can't be addicted to love. That's, that's like saying the darkness of sunshine. It doesn't make any sense. Love calls you. It doesn't addict you. Need grabs you and it says, do this and it's urgent, and if it's powerful enough to be experienced as an addiction, it is as strong as a frightened part of your personality gets. And that's why I am so appreciative for anyone, for everyone who has healed an addiction and stays healed. That's part of the work too, and stays healed. 
That's making the ongoing stabilized life of love and freedom and action and creativity and joy. Because mm. the best, you know, I've talked so much, Clute, you've been so generous in, in allowing me to express myself, but I, I would like to know, is there, what can I, how can I support you and how can I support our um, listeners? Yeah. No, you said, honestly, Gary, you've said so much. I just have like one, maybe two final questions for you because I also want to be respectful to your time. I mean, you shared so much wisdom uh, with such love and gentleness and, and depth and compassion. I am curious before I ask the, the, the final question or two. Did you, when you wrote Seed of the Soul, and I'm curious about this, and there's a reason. Um, part of the reason is maybe because I think there is a fear inside of the sort of human ego that if I, let go and I, you know, move beyond the sort of five sensory egoic motivation of what's driving me, power, control, then how will I be successful? What will, what will motivate me? What will drive me? Because so much of what's been driving us as human beings is, is the egoic intention, fear-based intention. And so I guess my question for you, and that's the context, is, when you wrote Seed of the Soul, did you have any idea that it would lead you on the journey, millions of books, I mean, by world standards, success on Oprah, you know, because many times people set out to write a book, like, oh, I want this to be a bestseller. Oh, I want to create this business and here's my intention that it reaches and makes a billion dollars. And so just curious about what that was like for you. Was there any idea? Was it a surprise? Was there intention that it reaches millions of people? Where were you coming from with that? Or do you look back and are you a little surprised in how it's unfolded now and where it's led you? Um, all of those examples you've given come from fear. Yes. Uh, I want to write a book. I want to reach an audience of a million people, which means I want to make a lot of money. I want to be influential. I want to be recognized. That's not love. Mm. That comes from fear. And if you use your emotional awareness, you'll find that. When you have an impulse and you think it might come from fear, don't do it. Instead, <laughs> put your attention inside. Frustrate that need and see what you feel. Do you still feel good? Mm. Or do you feel pain? If you feel pain, you know that that desire to write the book was not coming from love. Mm. I knew when I wrote The Dancing Wooly Masters, an overview of the new physics. I didn't say this is coming from love. I didn't think in those terms. But I knew that I wasn't going to be involved in physics indefinitely. And I wanted to give everything I was learning about physics to people like me, uh, liberal arts majors, mm -hmm. people who no, don't like science, don't know mathematics or care for it, but want to know what is this thing called quantum mechanics. I want to explain it to them. In its simplicity, I love doing that, going to the heart of the matter, because that's where the simplicity is. That's where it is. And I did. I, I wrote this beautiful book. And it changed my life, not only because of what I told you earlier, of, of experiencing non-physical reality. This experience of writing The Dancing Wooling Masters was my first gift to life. Everything before that had been for me, 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 me. Everything was looking for oh, sex, 
wondering about the monthly miracle of the rent, uh, riding motorcycles, wanting to be manly. But that book was none of that. That book was a gift. I didn't even think about it. And then the day before it was published, it got a rave review in the New York Times. That surprised everyone. Even my, my editor, my publisher, she called and said, Gary, you know what happened? Uh-huh. And uh, so I, whenever I try to misuse whatever I have learned about myself or about the world for my benefit, mm. it creates painful consequences for me. So here's another way of defining authentic power. It's the ability to move through the world with an empowered heart without attachment to the outcome. Beautiful. Now, I would like to ask you if uh, I can uh, uh, tell people about an event that we're giving that we're never going to give, that we're not going to give again. For sure. We have given a retreat called Journey to the Soul for years. And it's always evolved. It's never been the same. But it's always been in the same format, which is a five-day event. <laughs> We've decided we're not going to do that anymore. So the last time we're going to do it is is, is July 21st to the 25th. Amazing. Amazing. And so uh, if there's any of you that want to experience the journey to the soul in this format, this is the last time Linda and I are going to give it. And Amazing. I want to tell you about it. So um, And go to seatofthesoul.com as you probably know, and and you'll be able to sign up for it there. The other thing is, I've been working, because th- this is very germane to what we're talking about, which is attachment to the outcome. Um, I've written a book. Now, let me put it this way. I've participated in the writing of a book. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> and the book is called Universal Human. I've been reading it. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I you. definitely recommend anyone, everyone, if you're listening to this, get the universal human. It is deep and profound, really profound. Thank you. I'm so glad you feel it that way, but there, there is no but. I'm glad you feel it that way. I'm just delighted. And at the same time, I have, I do my best always not to be, depend on how people receive it or they don't receive it because that puts my self-worth entirely in the hands of other people. Mm. And that doesn't work anymore. Mm. Creating authentic power is becoming the authority in your own life. Mm. And in answer to your question, when, a, the seat of this, when I was finished with the seat of the soul, I did have, for the first time, not a fear. I guess it was a fear, but it wasn't a strong fear. It was just a thought. My goodness, people want me, are expecting me to write a, a sequel to the Dancing Wooly Masters, like Son of Wooly, about another cutting-edge aspect of science, like genetics. And I'm writing, and I'm giving them a book about reincarnation and the soul. And what are they going to think about that? <laughs> and then I thought, I wonder what the New York Times, I didn't have to wonder, I think the New York Times would really tear into this. And then I heard a voice, a wonderful, familiar voice. It said, don't worry about this. Don't worry about that. Or don't concern yourself with that. This arrow will find its mark. Mm. 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 And then it was um, about 
10 years later uh, when wow. Oprah called. Wow, 10 years was, later. Well, the book was published in 89, The Seed of the Soul, and my first time being uh, going to Chicago with Linda to meet Oprah and wow. just have a talk and have it was videoed was in 19, 98 and 99. Wow. So it was about 10 years, yes. Wow, wow. Amazing. Thank you so much. Um, your seminar is, is when? Can you just repeat the, the date for your seminar? July the 21st to the 24th, is that correct? I, th I think it's the 25th, July 21st <laughs> to 25th. And, and, and by the way, this is online. Online. Now, we have always done it uh, in person before. And if you're like me, I never thought it'd be possible to do something that was this experiential, this deep, this Amazing. intimate, this connected Amazing. online. Amazing. I thought online was simple. I mean, <clears throat> remote was simple. I just take an online course and we talk it into Zoom. Wrong. That would be a disaster. It requires so much more attention and care which I thought we were giving to all of our participants, but this is really something, an online event like this has to be produced carefully, thoughtfully, yeah. so there's no screen fatigue, so there is intimacy, there's a sharing, there's constant newness, mm -hmm. and we know how to do that now, and we're always getting better at it, and we learn this by accident. The last event we gave before the lockdown in March, 2020. Several people called us or emailed and said they don't want, they weren't going to come because they were concerned about what they were hearing about a virus. And we decided, well, we're going to include them one way or another. We're right. going to do it. So we got a big screen and a projector and a, and a laptop. And we put the whole thing on Zoom so they could see it at home. And uh, we could see them on the big screen and we could wave at them and include them. Good. There, were, there was sharing in that event so deep by people who had never gone that deep. Mm. And it surprised them, it surprised us, it surprised us all. And then I began to see it shouldn't. There's an inherent intimacy potential in the Internet. Five sensory humans think the Internet brings us together. It's brought us together. Multi-sensory humans see that the appearance in the Earth School of the Internet is an expression, a physical expression of our growing awareness of how connected we are. And Beautiful. You are using the Internet that way also. Yes. Gary, I just want to, you know, thank you so much for coming on to Soul Talk and just send you so many blessings. Just know you have made a profound impact on my life since 1999. You've been with me even without knowing uh, on other dimensions and your work as well. So may you be blessed. Everyone, I told you this was going to be a very special interview. I have so many notes. Uh, I want to encourage you all to re-listen to this interview, share, share it with everyone. Definitely go check out and buy The Universal Human, an amazing book. And you can go to Seat of the Soul. Uh, com. We'll put all of Gary's links in the show notes. I want you. I want to encourage you to check out all of his amazing work and also go to the July 21st to 25th seminar. I know it's going to be special and amazing. Uh, folks, you heard it. This was special. Share with your friends and send me an email, kublaxon at kublaxon.com. I would love to hear your key takeaways from today's episode.
Gary. Love you, everyone. Catch you next week. Love now. If you've enjoyed this episode of Soul Talk, please do share the podcast with all of your friends. Let everyone know and make sure you download Soul Talk today. I'm looking forward to next week where I'll get to share more inspiration with you. Meanwhile, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or social media. You can find out more about my work at www.cooplaxon.com. If you feel ready to take your life to the next level, join me at my exclusive event in Bali, www.boundlessblissbali.com, where you can find out more and apply. Also, make sure to remember to download my free two-part video training series and learn the ultimate secrets to happiness and fulfillment at coopblackson.com. Sending you all big hugs and love now.